Hello, it's Danny Howe back again for another episode of Tales from Southern Indiana. I had some memories, disturbing memories to tell you the truth, about um, a poem that my my mother liked to read to me when I was a little boy, and uh, that uh, was, was not a terribly comforting uh, set of verses. It was uh, a poem by the Indiana poet laureate, uh, James Whitcomb Riley, and maybe his best-known poem, uh, often read at Thanksgiving for some reason, but uh, it was called Little Orphan Annie. Uh, this wasn't about, you know, the Annie from the 1930s and the films and everything. Uh, this was a, uh, this was a, 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 basically someone who was almost on the level of a slave, uh, according to the poem anyway, uh, who perhaps had some resentment about her status in life and therefore seemed to want to take it out on little children. And so um, let me share a bit of it with you and see, see if, if you don't agree. This might not be the most appropriate poem to be reading to little kids. So it starts, innocently enough, Little Orphan Annie came to our house to stay. Well, I seriously doubt that she came. It's not some voluntary act. My guess is that she was indentured in some fashion. Because here's what's next. To wash the cups and saucers up and brush the crumbs away. All right, so far we're not talking about heavy labor here at least. And shoo the chickens off the porch. So the chickens have run, I don't know how how nice a house this is, but the chickens are running loose and you have to scare them off the porch uh, periodically and you need someone to help you do that apparently. And dust the hearth and sweep and make the fire and bake the bread and uh, (laughs) earn her board and keep. Now this is starting to sound, you know, like completely not fun. So, and all of us children when the supper things were done, we sat around the kitchen fire and had the mostest fun listening to the witch tales that Annie told about. Why is she telling me witch? Is she witch? And, and, and the catchphrase throughout the poem is the goblins that'll get you if you don't watch out. So, all right, we got goblins here. Um, and here's her first story that she related to the little kids that my mother always seemed to enjoy sharing with me. Once there was a little boy who wouldn't say his prayers. So when he went to bed at night, away upstairs, his mammy heard him holler and his daddy heard him bawl. And when they turned the kibbers down, this is covers apparently, um, he wasn't there at all. So they looked for him. Since they seeked him in the rafter room, and I'm not sure what that is, the rafter room, a cubby hole and press. One of the reasons they probably didn't find him was they were looking for all, in all these places where nobody knew what these words meant. Um, and seeked him up the chimbley flue, and everywhere's I guess, but all they ever found was his pants and roundabout, and the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. So the goblins took him, but left his pants. It already doesn't really make any particular sense, but all right, and, and we continue. One time, a little girl would always laugh and grin and make fun of everyone and all her blood and kin. And once when they was company, and old folks was there, she mocked them and shocked them and said she didn't care. Well, we know something bad's going to happen to this character. Uh, and just as she kicked her heels and turned to run and hide, there was two great big black things standing by her side, and they snatched her through the ceiling. It actually it was like a ghost thing. They took her through a physical place in the house, and of course she was never found. Apparently nobody really bothered to look for her all that much because it doesn't recite anyone, you know, looking in the, the, the roundabout or whatever the heck they were looking for the previous kid for. And so there's a warning at the end of the poem. It's at the end of the evening. Now it says, you better mind your parents and your teachers fond and dear and cherish them that loves you and dry the orphan's tear. 
nice, sorry, you know, expressions of good behavior and cherish them that loves you. And, and no, I'm sorry, I had to help the poor and needy ones that clusters all about or the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. So doing good deeds at the end of the poem, well, that's something to sort of celebrate, although you shouldn't need to have to do that because there's a threat that something's going to drag you through the ceiling and leave your pants and God knows what happens to the rest of you. Um, but what the poem really was speaking about was just misbehavior and misbehavior that would lead to immediate death. And that was sort of the message my mother imparted when I was a boy, when I had uh, occasion to to hear this poem uh, over and over again. Um, it's almost like, you know, when you grow up and you look back at the things that have caused you to be generally nervous and anxious as you go about the world, you want to find that one concrete thing that seemed to be the origin of all this, as if maybe that would help. It probably doesn't. But to me, I don't have to go back any further than the James Wickham Riley poem, <laughs> that little orphan Annie, uh, and uh, recall the absolute fear that it instilled in me as a four-year-old, I suppose. Um, and I suppose I've never really gotten over it. You know, I, I, I don't watch for goblins so much, but if I'm in a new area, a new place, as I try to avoid being uh, almost ever, then that sort, of, that sort of thing happens. I think that's one of the reasons that the notion of st really time standing still in Mitchell appealed to me a great deal because, you know, you never knew when something was new if it was going to cause you serious trouble. So, you know, new food, new clothing, types of clothing, uh, new folks who came to town, um, new cars that we didn't really understand very much. Uh, not only did we try to avoid those, we often threw rocks at them. Um, my father had a Volkswagen Beetle in the early 60s, I may have mentioned before, and no one had really seen a Volkswagen Beetle in town at that time. So, you know, the kids would throw rocks at it, uh, as we would, uh, you know, people who came to the school from some other state that almost never happened. Um, but when it did, you know, we wanted to throw rocks at the kid, at least until we got to know him better or until he threw rocks back, um, one, one or the other. But the whole point was, let's find some comfort in not having things suddenly appear and take you away because anything could do that. And so in the podcast, we, we like to reflect on the old things and, uh, and not really edge too far into the modern world where change has happened at such a pace that, well, the kind of things that can happen, you know, are, are the sort of things where we talked about in the podcast about being buried alive. You might just be rushed to your own demise at a point where people even want to bury you before you're quite dead. So we want to make sure that we've got a pretty good understanding of things um, before we try to eat something or be wear something or visit with somebody or what have you. And, and maybe that's not a good thing, but it's sort of the way life was, as I recall it. And as we moved slower and talked slower, which we certainly did, um, then we found, I think, that perhaps we could at least feel safe not being surprised. So there's a little, there's a little thought to share with you about a, a, a poem that if you if you actually don't like your children all that much, you can use to scare them, I suppose. And uh, as always, we sure appreciate you visiting. Never know what sort of topics will come across uh, the line here to share with you. So we hope to find new things and uh, have you come back and visit if you've heard things you like. And be sure to tell your friends as we're always happy to see at least one new thing, which is new listeners. Thanks a lot.